When I was diagnosed with schizophrenia in the early 1990s, I was told that I would not be able to live a so-called normal life or achieve it anything. I ended up living for several years in hopelessness. And I felt compelled to prove everyone wrong. And I successfully did so. Mental health problems is as much a pandemic at this point as is COVID. Hi, this is Karin Weiss and welcome to the Medicus Mundi Switzerland Health for All podcast. And today we talk with Charlene Sunkel, who lives in South Africa in Johannesburg. She's the founder and CEO of the Global Mental Health Peer Network and a passionate advocate for mental health and human rights. In 1991, she was diagnosed with schizophrenia and has since then had a remarkable journey of recovery and professional success. She has written and produced theater plays on life stories of persons living with mental health disorders, including one on her life with schizophrenia and have been involved in the review and drafting of various policies and legislations in South Africa. Charlene has won numerous awards in recognition for her work. Being a psychologist by background myself, I look very much forward to this new season of the Medicus Mundi Switzerland Health Four podcast. Hi Charlene, I looked so much forward to interviewing you to your journey to a passionate advocate for mental health. Welcome to this episode. Thank you very much. It's so nice to be part of your podcast. In 1991, you were diagnosed with schizophrenia, a severe mental health disorder which leaves people distortions in thinking, perception, emotions, language and sense of self and behavior. Tell us a bit more, what is schizophrenia and how did you experience it? Schizophrenia is, is kind of more of a thought disorder. So there are um, symptoms like hallucinations and delusions. Um, there are also negative uh, symptoms, which is more related to like problems with concentration, memory, uh, self-care um, and all those things. But I, I remember... Mine came on quite gradually. My symptoms started slowly. I think the very first symptoms that I actually experienced was social withdrawal. I used to be a very sociable party person, young person at the time. And just all of a sudden, I kind of started withdrawing from people. I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to mix with my friends. I just wanted to stay at home and it was almost like there was, I was in a different world. And soon after that, I started experiencing um, kind of a weird, weird feelings and emotions. Um, I remember I could never look people in the eye because somehow there was a thought in my head that I was afraid that people would steal my thoughts. If, you know, this whole idea of um, the eyes are the windows to the soul. So I was scared that they would actually steal my thoughts and my soul through my eyes. So I avoided eye contact. Um, I became very paranoid as well. I believed that my 
family especially, and especially those close to me, were in cahoots with the police and other people to kind of harm me, steal my thoughts, uh, change me as a person. Um, I also had uh, intense fear of anybody in a uniform, whether it's police, paramedics, anybody in a uniform. And uh, I still remember the very first um, hallucination I had was um, I was listening to music in my apartment. It was quite late at night. It was like midnight. And I suddenly heard this loud banging on my front door. It was like a group of people outside and it was like the police saying I must open the door or they're going to break it down. And I was frightened. I didn't know what was happening. Um, immediately I was starting to think, you know, what did I do wrong? What crime did I commit? And I was so scared. Eventually when I got to the courage to open the front door, there was nobody. I even went downstairs to see there was no police vehicles, nobody. So I, that's when I actually realized something was wrong, but I didn't understand what. Because uh, at that time I had very limited knowledge around mental health conditions. So I didn't even make that link. Um, and especially in those days, I'm talking about 1991, so it's way back. And there was still a lot of stigma. Um, and I never even heard the word schizophrenia. So for me, my symptoms were quite disruptive. Uh, my work also deteriorated because at the time I was working. Um, I couldn't concentrate. My memory was affected. I ended up being late for work because I got kind of consumed in my head and my thoughts. So it really affected my relationships with my family as well because they had the attitude of pulling yourself together, you know, all those things that you're just looking for attention. So for me it was, my entire life was just like crumbling down. Was it a relief when you got to know that there's actually a name to what you experienced? Yes, I know. Actually, it's an interesting question when you ask people. Some people prefer not to be labeled, but for me, and for me, it was a relief because it meant there wasn't a, how can I say, almost a defect with me as a person, but rather a kind of health condition. So for me, it was definitely a relief. When you were diagnosed, where did you live and what kind of treatments did you get? Yeah, unfortunately, back in those days, the focus of mental health was very much um, medically focused, biomedical approach. So I was um, first put on medication. I was on literally a large range of medications, none which really worked very well. Um, it actually took nine years for me to get on the right medication that actually made some degree of difference but I was also hospitalized in total I was hospitalized for four years so it was like long periods of time for months at a time up to six months and for me if I look back now there was big gaps in the mental health system. Tell us more about it what kind of gaps did you experience? Yeah for me it was like That was the only approach. You, you're given medication, you're in hospital. And for me, there was like no programs or any other forms of uh, approaches to mental health <clears throat> within the system. Um, so in hospital, for example, 
You you just got your medication at the certain times of the day, and that's it. And then you just sit around, and you've got nothing to do. And I think that's probably the worst thing, because that's when your mind kind of just spin out of control. So I can understand why people sit in hospital for such a long period of time, is because there's not really recovery orientated programs within the hostel system, but also kind of after discharge. In one of the interviews I listened about you, you mentioned that you were stigmatized and discriminated because of your mental health status. What exactly did you experience? Yeah, for me, it was it was almost like, for me, a very gross human rights violation, if I think back. Because I remember in the beginning, fairly in the beginning when I was diagnosed, um, I was literally told that I had no human rights that I will never be able to work again, never be able to stay on my own, manage my own finances. I will never achieve at anything. And, But I think there was a bit of rebel from my teenage years in me because if you tell me I can't do something, I'm, I become very determined to do it. <laughs> so um, so that was very a very large knock on me for getting told that things I can't do. And how does your how did your family reacted to that? In the beginning, my my family was quite resistant. Um, uh, they actually went through phases. In the beginning, it was like I was seeking attention, and then they thought I was involved in Satanism. Then they thought I was on drugs, which I wasn't. None of those. Um, and then they were looking at false. What did they do wrong? Um, But I must say, they were also very uneducated. So that's why I always believe family need to be involved in anybody's treatment plan. Um, but later on, and then they said, I don't need medication. As a result, I stopped medication several times because the side effects of the medication also had me, you know, um, kind of tremble. I couldn't stop moving my legs. You know, it made me drowsy, all those things. And they said... You don't need medication, stop it, you know, it's just, I just need to pull myself together. But later on, after they've seen, okay, if I stop my medication, I can't really communicate effectively, I'm kind of lost. Um, and after that, I think they noticed and, and started supporting me. I also think once they became more educated, they started supporting me, and that had a tremendous impact and, and value to my recovery. That's why I say it's a lot of things, because even within the mental health system, families need to be involved because that plays one component. You need to fix everything that is damaged because your mental health is not only your, your health side of things, it damages your relationships. Yeah, I lost my employment, for example. It damages that aspect of independence, I lost my apartment and everything. So it really needs to address, it needs to be holistic. Not only in your family, but also in many other families around the world, the pressure on the stigmatization on daughters or sons with mental health disorders are, are big. What needs to be done in order to lift the taboos and the shame around mental health disorders? First of all, people need to talk more about it. And I think the most valuable aspect to destigmatize mental health conditions, especially severe mental health conditions, is um, 
to have that conversation and for people to share their experiences, put that human element to the conversation. Because I I had quite interesting um, experiences. For example, I've been invited to kind of talk, share my recovery story on radio and television. And there were people who actually called in who said, I don't look like I have schizophrenia or I don't sound like it. So that in itself tell you that people out there actually think you must look a certain way or sound a certain way. They almost don't see you as you, a human being. Um, I also had people, I remember even to come back to my family, uh, they even said to me, they were afterwards now, they said to me, they didn't really talk to me because I could feel they were distant towards me. They said they were too scared to say something to me. They were scared how I'm going to react. And other people were kind of, I was also in, in one session where I did a corporate awareness session. So I didn't tell the people before that I had a diagnosis. So they were talking about, yes, we're talking about schizophrenia. It's those people who are very violent and aggressive. And, okay, so then afterwards I disclosed. But that again tells you that the perception that people had there, that you're violent and aggressive. And I will not even harm a fly. So we just need to demystify, um, educate society, talk more about it, have people share their recovery stories and their own stories, uh, journeys. But at the same time, when I say share their journeys, it must be a safe space. There must be no judgment when a person shares their story. And how can we create these spaces? I think people look up to professionals almost. Um, and even if you look at public figures, actors, musicians, whoever, I think that plays a big role if you, if you come out as that and disclose that you have a mental health problem. It makes it a bit easier for those others who are not famous or in the public eye to also come out because it normalizes it almost. I can use the example of HIV, for example, which is also a good one like in South Africa, our former president Nelson Mandela was the ambassador for HIV AIDS. And I think that in itself made an enormous impact on... Uh, reducing or eliminating stigma around HIV. In 2003, you started doing volunteer work in the field of mental health. Where did you take the strength and the courage to stand up for your own rights? Yeah, that was just um, after my last involuntary admission. Um, I was admitted to a hospital which was considered not to be so nice. And there was a lot of abuse happening in there. And it almost like shocked me to my back to reality, if I can call it that. And that's when I realized, you know, this, this, is, this is just wrong. Someone needs to do something about it. I thought, okay, nobody does anything about it. I want to do something about it. So... I decided then to really fight and get my life back. 
So I did myself a lot of research around schizophrenia, what could help, and I thought, okay, what will help me was building structure. So I worked on myself, different elements, kind of uh, getting a balanced life. Um, like I did a bit of walking, a bit of art. Um, I really made space for everything in my life. And once I kind of got myself into routine and structure, I started to volunteer for organization. Uh, I thought because nobody's going to give me a job if I disclose I have a mental illness. So that was just a no-go, absolutely. So I needed to find another way to get into the field. So that was through volunteerism. And that actually went very well. I volunteered for two years until I was offered a job. And in that space, uh, people started getting to know me because of the theater place that I've written and the advocacy work that I started getting involved in there. And what kind of theater place did you develop? I first written one on my uh, own lived experiences with schizophrenia, my journey. It is actually on YouTube. I wanted to use that story to kind of create awareness. Um, okay, I must say at the time I had no idea how to write a theater play or how it works. But I, I managed to do it. It took me a while, but I got that. And that theater play actually did very well. It was even contracted by our Department of Health, universities for medical students. So it was really out there. And that one did very well. Then I've written another one on bipolar mood disorder. Um, and I brought into the cultural element, because especially in South Africa, we have a, a range of cultures, you know, still believing that it's an ancestral curse or de demon possession, that kind of stuff. So I brought that element into it. And then I've written one on, also true story, on depression. Um, and these were really doing very, very well out there. And then after that, I uh, written and produced a short feature film. That's the one that's on YouTube, which is the bipolar one and schizophrenia one combined. And today you are the CEO and founder of the Global Mental Health Peer Network. Why did you found this network and what do you do exactly with this network? For me, the whole idea of the uh, Global Mental Health Peer Network was to give people with mental health conditions a voice. Um, first of all, to create a platform where they can share their views, perspectives and opinions and their own stories, of course. Um, and then also to develop global lived experience leadership. Now, for me, that was an important one because previously in the years before, when I, since I started volunteering, over the past years, I got involved internationally. And it was very clear to me that At a global level, there's um, very few uh, people with mental health conditions who are mental health advocates and speaking on behalf of people. What was lacking was people from low, the voices from low and middle income countries. Stigma, of course, plays a large role because of that, um, preventing people from actually coming out in these countries and speaking up about their journeys. Um, so that is, in a nutshell, what the Peer Network stands for. So we empower people, we build our advocacy initiatives around recovery and person-centered approach. We focus on human rights, 
and we are currently represented in 34 countries and we have uh, over 80 lift experience uh, global leaders. According to the World Health Organization, uh, schizophrenia is affecting about 20 million people worldwide. What can we as public health experts learn about advocating for people for mental health disorders? I think first of all, anything and everything we do, whether it's research, policy development, service development, must at all times involve uh, consultation and engagement with people with mental health conditions. Um, I think because we are the ones really using services, using the systems, and I'm not talking only about health systems, other systems like uh, employment, like um, education and so forth, which also impact on our lives. So it's very important that we are part of that because it's useless if you develop some a system and you think you know what people, what we need, but the best way to develop a system that's actually cost-effective and efficient is to have people living with these conditions actually um, guide uh, policy and practice. Where do we stand today with mental health? I think, truly, I, I do think we've come a long way. Um, on, on various levels. I do think um, we've overcome a lot of stigma, but we still got a long way in terms of stigma. Um, what I've witnessed, especially in terms of the media, way back when I started, um, when we wanted to do awareness, you know, and using it, the media as a medium, um, you always had to beg the media to publish something around mental health. And over the years, they kind of beg us now to give input into, um, you know, publications or articles online. And um, what I also think changed is um, in terms of lived experience engagement, we see now a lot is focused, like I said, being involved uh, in policy and practice, uh, research and all the elements. I think that is really gaining momentum, especially now. It's starting now a lot. Um, and I think what also changed is what's starting to change and becoming quite important is the acknowledgement of the importance of peer support work, um, where we are and, and can be valuable service providers, and also closing the human resources gaps within the health system. Why do we still have so much stigmatization, discrimination against people with mental health disorders? I think there's a range of things. I don't think we can always pinpoint everything, but I also think we need to consider country context because culture plays a role. Um, you know, there's issues around poverty, inequalities. There's so many things playing a role. But I do think um, we need to be more out there, more in people's faces. We need to talk more, like I said. Um, and I think we need to do also, there need to be more research. 
not so much focused on the negative aspects of a mental health condition, but also puts a bit of a, of a positive spin in it. And um, I think what also should be done in terms of stigma um, policies, especially, need there, there need to be a no tolerance um, approach towards stigma and unfair discrimination. And I think in terms of that, we still got a long way to go and accountability. And what does the international public health community need to understand with regards to mental health? I think it's important to know mental health features pretty much in every aspect of health. Like the saying say, there's no health without mental health. I mean, um, I think it's slowly people starting to realize that um, mental health forms an important component of health. You can just use the example of COVID at the moment, how we see now how people's mental health is affected. And I must say, I've seen a lot globally people who never used to talk about mental health a lot, all of a sudden now talk about mental health because they realize like a health condition or like a pandemic like this still has um, relevance to mental health. But during this time of COVID, I find that I experience extreme difficulty in actually managing my condition. Um, for me, I'm not that concerned about contracting COVID or coronavirus as such. What concerns me most is actually the impact on my mental health. Uh, for example, I've noticed that I experience quite a lot of difficulties in terms of determining what is real and what is not. Um, I also find that my concentration, especially in my memory, is severely affected. I have days where I am unable to function properly, even uh, performing very simple tasks, like making coffee, for example, requires a lot of uh, concentration to make sure that I'm doing it right. And how do you see the impact of COVID on mental health? Sometimes I, I think we had a bit of a discussion in, in amongst our peers in the peer network and we thought we're actually fortunate for having a pre-existing mental health condition because it's almost like we are prepared for a, a mental health impact because we've been through it. Um, But the sad story is that a lot of people who never had uh, anything to do really with mental health and now experiencing anxiety, uh, fear for the future. There's now so many elements in terms of unemployment rates, the economy, all those things impacting on mental health. And uh, especially children now. I mean, the interruptions in school and education. Um And I think what we can learn from this is also that we as people with lived experience can now play a much larger role in terms of peer support, helping those who didn't have a pre-existing mental health condition. What is your aspiration for people living with mental health? Well, I would like to see people with mental health conditions being placed in key positions key decision-making positions and that there's always 
representation of lived experience in all aspects of uh, any sector, whether it's employment, health, education, and so forth, and um, that no decisions are made without lived experience. And, of course, I suppose the biggest dream is to eliminate stigma because I think that would really resolve a lot of issues. Thank you so much for this very interesting talk and for being my guest at the Medicus Mundi Switzerland Health for All podcast today. Thank you very much for having me and it was nice talking to you. This was the Medicus Mundi Switzerland Health for All podcast with Gachin Weiss. You can listen to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and on our website. To spread the message, please leave a comment on our website, share and like it. This was the first episode of the new mental health season. Stay tuned and watch out for the next episode on mental health. I achieved beyond everybody's expectations, including that of my own. So today, through creating hope for others, creates hope for me. And that hope drives me to achieve more in life.